welcome back to But Why the Podcast, and today I have a special episode where I got the chance to sit down and interview Tanwi Stevens, producer, and Glenn Standring, who is the executive producer and writer on Shudder's The Deadlands. If you're not familiar with The Deadlands, it's a co-production between Shudder and New Zealand's TVNZ. The series features a supernatural adventure set in a mythic Maori past with an aesthetic that's part Ash versus the Evil Dead and part Xena Warrior Princess. The series features a murdered Maori warrior, Waka, who's sent back to the world of the living to redeem his sins. But the world Waka returns to is ravaged by a breach between life and the afterlife as the spirits of the dead now stalk the land and hunt the living. Waka then encounters a determined young woman, Mehe, who becomes both his protege and his moral compass. Together, the two navigate tribal politics, the unsettled ghost of the ancestors, and other forces, both natural and supernatural, on a quest to discover who broke the world and to repair it. Now, I hope you enjoy. Um, well, just Tainui Stevens, one of the producers, and very much concerned with the Māori dimension, authenticity of it all. Good. And I'm Glenn Standring, and I'm the writer and EP on the show. Awesome. Well, thank you all for talking with me today. Um, I do want to start out by saying that I am so in love with this show, and when the opportunity <laughs> to interview y'all came up, I, I jumped at it right away because I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> <laughs> that's lovely Kate that's cool that's fantastic um and the first question I want to ask is really what inspired this show and how did it get started right well it it kind of came from a notion um that was in the film and I mean there you've got a character um who's also a kind of dishonored Maori warrior who dies and is gifted a place in the afterlife and um, even when I was watching The Rushes, I was kind of going, what if he gets to the afterlife and they say, you're not coming in here? You know what I mean? So when Matt Metcalf came to me, he was he's really my co-conspirator in the series, and said, look, I know someone at AMC. What do you think about doing um, a TV series, you know, based on the film? I went, you know what, I think I've got an idea. And it was that notion of a dishonored Maori warrior going to the afterlife being expected to be let in and, and the ancestors there go, you know, you haven't earned the right. You need to go back to the world and earn the right to die, which I think <clears> is a great, it's an ironic hero's journey for a start, which is wonderful. But it's that notion of the bad man trying to be good, um, which is always fun to play with and kind of who better to throw him up against than, you know, a young Maori woman who's straining against the conventions of her culture and gender. Yeah, that's amazing to hear um, that uh, that story because there are so many facets to it that it does it does seem to follow the structure of a hero's journey, but then at the same time it's steeped in Maori myth mythology. And can you all kind of speak a little bit to how 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 you decided what pieces of the mythology and the cosmology to start incorporating into the show. And because there's a lot in here, there's magic, there's possessions, yes. there's <clears throat> the dead. Um, what went into all of that and structuring that out for the story? Well, I mean, I think, well, I the think for... first important, oh, sorry, Tony. I was just going to you say, go, the bro, you're the writer. <laughs> well, well but the first important step for me was to bring Tainui into the show i mean just to big up tainui a little bit he's had 30 years you know kind of breaking ground and pioneering in this maori television space so to 
do it in an authentic way. I kind of really felt, you know, we needed someone like Tainui um, on board with us. So that me as a writer, whenever I was struggling um, with the material and what to write, I could talk to him, you know, get encouragement, but also, you know, be informed um, about what I was doing. Yeah. In terms of the writing process, and then I'll let Tainui talk more about the cultural authenticity, but the writing, you know, I didn't want to kind of just do um, generic horror stories and then bolt on Māori culture. I wanted it to be, you know, to come from Māoriness more. So before breaking mm. any of the mm. stories, I would go deep into Māori mythology, this rich, wonderful tapestry of Māori mythology, talk to Tainui, so that the breaking of the story came and the theme, discovering the theme for each episode and the series came out of multiculture itself so it was a real cross fertilization mm. of those two things genre mm. and mouldiness rather than them being separate don't you think Tony? yeah uh, and i think i, I think too uh, cross fertilization in many ways kate to me the best stuff in our world comes from interesting fusions now one of the things about the maori dimension uh, with regard to the series and the film is that um, words like mythology or traditional culture sometimes uh, have um, this kind of um, impression that uh, we are reviving aspects of our mm -hmm. traditions or that we are um, looking to the past when it's one of the facets of the Māori world is that we actually live our culture and Partly that's a result of being in a small country, the size of a medium-sized city population-wise and the size of the UK in terms of land, at the bottom of the planet. We've only got 5 million or so people here. The Māori population is very significant. It's about 18% or something. And so we have a say in the society. When I head overseas, I, if I go to New York, I'm not going to see much about uh, the native peoples uh, or... Or, or that kind of thing. But the indigenous experience is very much alive in this country. So while we talk about matters of uh, language or magic, as you referred to, or these chants and these references to the dead, these are things that we live now. And we have aspects uh, when we have our rituals of birth, life and death. For example, a funeral takes three days and we have them in these carved meeting houses. Our whole country knows this. Uh, whether you're white or brown, we all know this is what happens. And, you know, years ago we had to go through uh, letting employers know why they had to let their Māori staff go off mm -hmm. to have their, you know, their bereavement leave, if you like. So we're very much a country that is bicultural in this relative sense. Um, it's kind of like when I go to Canada, I get French food at American prices. Yeah. There's just a really interesting... Um, there's just a really interesting cultural mix here, and that lends itself to the authenticity that you feel in the series. And so whether it's a gender role thing, whether it's a spirits thing, these are things that we talk about. They're things that we live. Now, um, as Glenn referenced, one of the things that I've been doing in my time in the industry is, um, I guess, grow Māori stories. Yes, we start, when I started, uh, the only Māori television was a... Um, uh, a 15 minutes a week program, weekly program back in uh, 1984. And we've grown exponentially since then, not just in terms of um, our presence on New Zealand television, but in the types of stories that we tell. If we wanted to make a game show, 
Um, we don't have to think about the Price is Right or any of these other mm-hmm. templates. We can just do no. our own thing because it's all a blank page. And that's and as a creative kind of thing, as we as we've grown our capacity to make television and film, and we grow our capacity to find outlets and access for our stories and grow the types of stories we can tell from doco to drama to entertainment, whatever it is, there's been an exponential growth over the last few decades. And this is not just being confined to New Zealand. Because of our genuine and authentic biculturalism, our reputation is that worldwide. And so we have indigenous connections. I'm amazed that I can go to a number of places on the planet and read a local newspaper that talks about the Māori, and it doesn't say Indigenous people of New Zealand, because they've kind of figured that people know who the Māori are. That, to me, blows me away. And while we have down in New Zealand this storytelling happening, we've also got a little bit of a social, cultural, laboratory thing happening that I think has lessons for the world. This is realised in this entertainment, and we have things to say about... um, gender roles, we have things to say about our place in the genealogy of time, if you like. And these are just interesting concepts that I think in an era of fake news and where is the truth, what is the truth, I think there are some values, not just in Māori, but indigenous storytelling that are timeless. We didn't used to call ourselves Māori. We used to call us, and Māori is a word which means normal, like for Mm -hmm. example water, if you talk about why Māori is just fresh water as, compo- as compared to Waimwana, which is seawater. Māori became a term when white people turned up. We had to figure out what to call ourselves to mark the difference. Yeah. Māori just means normal. It's like uh, Terence Malick in that film, oh, the po- oh not the Pocahontas, so he talks about the naturals, mm-hmm. which when referring to the, na- the natives of um America, which I thought was closer to the meaning of what we used to, of, of this Māori thing. But we used to call ourselves tangata whenua, people of the land. And all that did was access us to the truths of nature. We are no less a part of nature than the trees, than the inanimate things, than the animals. And so this too is reflected in the deadlands and brings a sense of authenticity. We don't act it because we live it. Yeah. It, honestly, listening to you talk, I, I, I feel like I've kind of realized why I fell so in love with the Deadlands is because I'm, I'm Mexican-American myself, but specifically I'm Tejana. I'm like, we can trace our family back to before the borders were drawn uh, in this region of Texas <laughs> in the U.S. And it we're my culture is very much the same way. We see everything as uh, there. You have this layer on top and beneath it. You have this this other this world that is very real. Um, our folklore, our stories, mm. um, everything that mm. I grew up with that I've I've kind of left. But you know how my family practices and everything. It, it people see it as just uh, just storytelling and myth making. And my mom and my 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 grandparents and and you know, my cousins and stuff like that. And me to an extent, we see it as something that is just it's just our life. It's just real. It's not supernatural. It's just the world. Um, so I love, mm-hmm. thank you for your answer and, and how in-depth it was, because I, I think I've realized why I really fell in love with y'all's show, honestly. Um, and, and I think when, <laughs> one of the things that I noticed um, was the lack of subtitling 
uh, when it wasn't in yes. English. Um, and that I wanted to kind yes. of get y'all's idea uh, why you chose to do that specifically. Because I know mm -hmm. for me, when I watch a show that is really because uh, I mean, sadly, the U.S. does not have a good uh, system of recognizing its brown people <laughs> at all. Um, and so when I see a show that uses Spanish in that way, it really like, oh, this was made for me. So what 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 drove y'all's choice to not subtitle that part? Uh, well, one of the things that I did when I came on board the project was inject Māori language into it. Glenn had seeds of it. Um, but again, one of the things I've found over the years, as we attune New Zealand to bilingualism, you get adept at being able to use language sometimes with subtitles. But as we develop another strand of programming, we treat the language as normal and we, we can present it in ways that if they're not, words aren't comprehensible, at least the actions or the aesthetic of the mm -hmm. actions gives some kind of context which gives people cause to understand. And you know, an important thing about the survival of any language is just to treat it as normal yeah. and to actually impose translation on it. It's not a bad thing and it's good for people who are learning the language, but it does give a sense of the language as being the other and mm -hmm. I'm, all, all I'm saying is that really by presenting language without subtitling first you give it a kind of veracity and value which for the target audience and the speakers of the language is really important um, yeah. it's a pain to be at, have to, I'm, I'm sure if you're watching Spanish and you have to read subtitles as well it destroys the picture yes and so it's the same for our, <laughs> or it's not translated correctly <laughs> Yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, that, and, and that really stuffs your enjoyment up. So in all the stuff as we've been growing Māori storytelling, in my mind, I've always had the Māori audience first and foremost. You've got to mm -hmm. please the peeps at home before you can intrigue the audiences overseas. And, you know, our population, our Indigenous population, are not in the least bit shy about coming forward and saying if they don't like you, <laughs> they will say so. And mm -hmm. we will get... <laughs> So we will get bollocksed, and that's a, it's a wonderful thing to have, uh, particularly if you have trust in your people. And so, yeah, no, there's, there's kind of lots to say about all of that too. So the language is very much the way we wrote it, the way we presented it, even with regard to the chants. And a viewer from outside New Zealand would think that those are traditional, and they are, but they only give the flavour of the traditions because while we may use chants like that in sacred spaces here say a funeral situation mm -hmm. it would be wrong with me to take that chant and replicate it word for word on this entertainment it would mm -hmm. diminish its sacredness to a degree yeah. and so what i do is i i i choose words that um, give the flavor of the ritual and respect by virtue of a structure but doesn't imitate it and doesn't replicate it because that stuff must remain sacred for the world of reality but we can share the flavor and so you know this is all part of a long-term language scheme within our nation to a save our language b to make it normal within the family of the world's languages yeah that is yeah, absolutely <laughs> y'all i mean and, oh, also, and, and the other and... thing too about that the other thing about that, too, quickly, while well, I'm on a roll, sorry about a roll, um, when, <laughs> when we come to talking about the English, um, 
we flavoured the English as well, so that words, curse words, um, for example, my 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 hackles rose a little bit, and Glenn will remember when I saw the, the word fuck in the script. I said, bro, once you start having a word like fuck as a curse word, in a Maori sense, you're taking us straight into a white headspace where the language of cursing is to do with um, bodily functions, the mm-hmm. sex act, or blasphemy. The Maori uh, version of cursing uh, takes into mind certain other things. For example, a quick example is like the head, unsurprisingly, is the most sacred part of a body. If you say to a person, all that means is go and get your head boiled. <laughs> now, by boiling, by boiling your head, by boiling things like food, you take off the sacredness of things. And all you're doing is, is saying, you know, you're, you're of no account, you're worthless because your head, this ostensible sacred thing, is just of no account. And that, in a Maori perspective, is the worst thing you can say. Now, as a curse, you try and explain that to someone sitting in New Jersey or Albuquerque, yeah. it's a bit hard. So what we did was we took, we took and played with the English language to come up with a range of verses or words which um, gave a flavor, again, of the Māori thinking behind curses. So when you say something like that, may piss be your master and shit be your slave, um, or things like that um, excite the Māori mind, even though it's in English, as much as offer something colorful mm-hmm. to audiences uh, who have not yet experienced that type of language. And I mean, I think that just speaks to always on the production us wanting to embrace that authentic spirit wherever we could, while also, I think, Tainui too accepted that sometimes you do need to say fuck because it's, it's funny. <laughs> and, and, so those times when it does, well, that's another bloody wonderful thing about it. So those times when Waka says fuck, it comes across as ironic and, and, you know, and it really works. I'm pleased about that. um man y'all are this is an amazing conversation um but i have to know what is y'all's favorite episode of of the eight uh and you know which one is it and and why you can go first (laughs) (laughs) time oh i don't know i just love Episode eight. I just love the way that Waka screams out of that forest. The way he looks, the just that setup and what Mehe has become, and just that final confrontation. I mean, we wanted to make an entertainment here, Kate. And you know, there's a sense of climax. There's a sense of growth that we have to pay attention to. And for me, in anything I make, I'm very interested in the beginnings and the endings. Um, for all sorts of reasons. And so when I look at our particular um, our work here, I, I go, I love, well, I go straight to the ending because by that time we've got our act together, we've got our story together, things are coming together, we're setting up stuff. And just the visuals, just, it all came together for me at the end. I loved it. Mm. I mean, I think to big props to Michael Hurst, our director, on the second block and that last episode i think visually yeah you know when yeah um, mehi goes to the spirit place and there's chanting and it's just like you go oh my god i've never seen anything like this before this is genuinely unique and powerful but because 
Tainu is taken ep eight. Damn, I should have gone first. Mm-hmm. I'm going to well, there are two. I'm going to go for two. Episode two for me was a big one um, because it's where Mehe Danin as a character really stands up and grabs the series by the scruff of the neck mm-hmm. and goes, "This is not a, just about this guy. It's about these two people." So, and she really drives that. And the, and then I guess the other one for me is ep four which is the exorcism, because because of that Māoriness, I mean, again, you know, I trained as an anthropologist, an archaeologist back in the day, and I was sitting watching that episode, even though I wrote it and all the rest of it, and, and kind of going, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. It's like ethnographic horror mm-hmm. or something. Um, so, mm. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it eight, it was very satisfying to yeah. bring it all in to a conclusion. Yeah. Um, like you said, yeah. Kate, uh, that's satisfying, but also leaves enough questions um, and doesn't mm. shortchange the characters and the story and the moldiness that's right. of the whole story. That's right. Yeah and, yeah, and that was also one of my other questions, which I kind of asked uh, before we started recording, was, um, and, and just go a little bit deeper, the, the last episode wraps the story really well, but it leaves this giant door open for more. Um, and I wanted more mm. as a fan. Mm. Um, did you, yes. mm. when you all, when you were writing this and when you were shooting it, did you always have more in mind, a season two in mind? Because I know reception has been really good in New Zealand and, and good here. Like how, how has, I guess, how did that inform how you told the story? Right. I mean, from the writing point of view, it was always this notion um, to leave nothing on the table, to just throw it all on the floor and um, do a season that could be a standalone uh, and satisfying, but also enough stuffing in it to go, yeah, I want to come back and see what happens to these characters and see more of their journey. So there was always that notion that there could be more. I mean, and I've actually... You know, the very end of if we did more seasons, I have the final scene already written. So oh, wow. that that is a little um, thing that I just have parked in a little part of my brain, um, you know, tempting me. But, we'll, mm. you know, we'll see. Mm. Mm. And, and for I me, I think that it, uh, for me, anything I think we make in Māori screen storytelling, uh, we're always trying to make a wedge to open the door further mm-hmm. um, and grow further. Um, and not just because of the needs of the audiences, but also because of the growing capacity and caliber of our own screen industry people. Yeah. Because of this bilingual, bicultural country we have, we've got a generation, we, we train filmmakers from 12 years old upwards in wow. some of the stuff we do. And they're, and they're coming to us as digital natives, as bilingual, bicultural, with a view to the world, which is um, just so exciting in terms of the future. So whether whatever we do, Kate, we're always trying to um, push the door open a little bit more. Each new project is another wedge just to force things open a little bit more. That's really amazing to hear. And I know that I just keep like saying amazing and great, but seriously, listening to y'all talk and hearing the passion behind the story is uh, amazing to hear from a fan. I'm actually having a hard time uh, distinguishing myself as a critic and a fan here. Um, in all honesty, that's how taken I am by you know y'all's conversation, but also with the, uh, I'm piecing together elements from each episode as I hear you all talk. Um, 
when it came to to telling some of these rituals and um, covering some of the subjects like the exorcism for example was there anything that was difficult Mm -hmm. um in terms of translating this into something on screen because i know you mentioned about um not using the exact wording um to keep things sacred Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. was there a scene or something hard in particular when it came to tackling that and adapting uh, I mean, it's it's one um, thing to write some of this stuff, but <laughs> having to then, <laughs> in the real world, make it, you know, and with anything, it's suspension of belief, isn't it? Especially with exorcisms and all that. So, I mean, Taino, we can speak to what was done on the day, but I think it's very much, yeah. from the writing point of view, giving enough so that it's believable and that it's understandable and legible to an audience. And then it's really the director and Tainui and the actors mm. finding their authenticity mm. in the moment mm. to really make it believable, right, T? Mm. 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 Okay, and, and just to kind of bounce off from that, um, one of the things that I had to change quite a lot during the shoot was the actual, uh, I'd do a draft of a, a chant, for example, then when it came time to shoot, some of, the, some of the actors didn't have the language capacity to get it right because there's a certain meter, there's a certain chanting quality that needs to be had. So I'd have to simplify the language, mm-hmm. and that's all right. Yeah. But that, and that happened um, quite a lot. Um, but for me, the language thing and the way we changed the language or even the ritualistic things we showed uh, sat easy with us because of the way we make the show mm-hmm. every day starts with a prayer every day ends with a prayer which is basically where all the crew get together and we have a short cut here and it's not a religious moment alone or a spiritual moment alone it's actually a chance to talk with the crew because yeah. you've got all these departments running around doing shit and if you can get together for a moment of togetherness the prayer might take a minute then you spend two minutes talking about the things going to happen mm-hmm. during the day that's so so valuable now, during those discussions, we will talk about those areas where we take the actors into a darker space. And when yeah. I say that, I'm talking about moving into working with the dead or notions, whether it's exorcism or spirits. You know, um, I was always intrigued by all the trouble that they had making the exorcist way back in the day. Yeah. And I, I looked at the, the director's cut recently and I thought, yeah, no wonder it would have been really hard, just from a spiritual point of view. Yeah. And because there are things out there, you know, I kind of, I don't understand it all, but in my own life, I just know there's shit out there. I don't know the shape of it, but <laughs> I do, I do, I do look to my ancestry who have tried to think about this stuff over the years as well. And something simple like coming together in a sense of spirituality and communicating is really, really important. So when an actor goes into a dark space, he or she can know they have family support from the crew. And that the spiritual side, their psychological well-being is cared for. They do their thing. They come out. We have a prayer. Uh, and these aren't just Christian prayers. Mm-hmm. These are Maori prayers. These are Maori um, bridges from working with the world of the dead to come back to the world of the living. And to do that, you just simply acknowledge that the world of the dead exists. Then we say in Maori, okay, you dead, stay there. We are now back in the world of the living. It's just acknowledging it and moving on, really. Mm -hmm. And by acknowledging these things and moving on in a spirit of collectivity and love, 
So we can do all sorts of stuff. We can do all sorts of stuff. If you have a respect for the past and you uh, utter that respect, you articulate it, the future is fantastic. You can, you know, uh, and I'm complete, I'm always amazed by Māori design particularly. You have some basic motifs which are so traditional, you put them in there, then you can take the design to all sorts of places. That can happen linguistically, can happen in terms of storylines. Uh, you know, it's just part of what we do, the way we tell stories, Kate. A lot of the stuff, and and, and you mentioned, Tanwi, about um, bringing it to dark places, and, and for an mm. actor, that's got to be really, really hard. Um, but both uh, the, mm. act, the actor and actress between Waka and Mehe, um, they do a phenomenal mm. job moving through emotions mm. and really creating an empathic mm. bond with each other, but also with the audience. Can you talk a little bit about, a little bit mm. about working with them and um, how that experience was? One of the things about that particular relationship is that uh, uh, Te Kohe Tuhaka, playing Waka, is a long-experienced Māori actor, and Dani and Christian, playing Mehe Tewehewe, has just graduated during the filming from acting school. So oh, you've wow. got uh, a lovely mix of experience and youth there. And uh, there's a lot of mentoring going on anyway. Um, the auditioning process was rigorous uh, and it was great to have the input of AMC there to help us look at which pairings, which characters, which actors are going to likely work best. At the end of the day, the crew we got, in the spirit of collectivity and family, really nurtured each other and uh, respected each other's skills. I remember vividly one particular day, um, uh, Te Kohe came out to apologize to the crew. This is during Karakia, during prayers, to apologize to the crew for the, for the days, um, at the end of the day, for the day's work. He felt he just wasn't up to standard. And I didn't notice it, but he did. And he felt secure enough to say that. And yeah. that was what was important. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, for my part, Choosing our actors was a terrific experience. Working with them was just wonderful, particularly because of this kind of mentoring thing and spirit of helping out that goes with the making of a show like this. Mm. I mean, and certainly, you know, big props to AMC Shudder. You know, they allowed us, well, kind of <laughs> demanded that we do chemistry testing and put the different actors together in different um, kind of combinations um, for mm. TK, the, the part was written specifically for him. We knew, yeah. you know, he's a Shakespearean actor in New Zealand as well as in, you know, he can do comedy, um, broad comedy or the cherry orchard. So we were writing it specifically for him. Mehi was different, but the moment, you know, we saw Darnene, I'm telling you, you just, when she says the lines, you go, I believe what she's saying. It's She's speaking the truth. Mm. How, however... She's come to that. I don't know. That's kind of part of the magic. But when we put those two together, you went, wow, they're greater than the sum of their parts in terms of casting. And I think that if we'd got Mehi and Waka wrong, it would have we would have got the whole show wrong. So to have those two mm. so mm. perfectly in sync, hating and loving each other, <laughs> um, was, mm. you know, mm. that kind of brother-sister mentor thing, it was so, so crucial to the show. And also... Look, a great mm. opportunity to take someone like Darnene, a young, inexperienced talent, and expose this young Māori woman to the world. Yeah. You know, uh, it was just a mm. privilege for us, to be honest. Mm. 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 
And the other thing, too, is that, again, in the spirit of the biculturalism of this country, you see it very clearly with Te Kohe and a number of the actors, really. Their facility with Māori weaponry is natural because they practice that stuff anyway. And so when Māori people who understand the martial arts or the Māori martial arts see these things in action, they can tell that they know their stuff. And um, so having those skills as well as a New Zealand accent that could be understandable by other audiences. Yeah. Uh, and we know that that's a thing. We know that that's a thing. And with Darneen, I was particularly struck that you could actually comprehend, she articulated well, mm-hmm. still with a yep. Kiwi accent, which was great. Well, that's awesome. I know we've kind of gone over a little bit uh, time-wise, but uh, thank you all for, for talking with me. And, and my last question is really, um, now that the show has wrapped, what do you want? Uh, what do you want people to take away with them after watching the series or the season? Tainoi, <laughs> you're good. Oh. Uh, well, like for me, <laughs> I mean, we've, we've, oh, sorry, we've talked a lot about mouldiness, and I mean, one of the things, and it's personal self-discovery as well for me, going into you know Maori mythology and culture, but one of the things about the age we live in we live in a very narcissistic individualistic age and i think you know te- the technology pushes us into that area now wonderful technology but it does and i think one of the things about indigenous cultures maori culture is they're much more collectivist you know they're less um, they less accentuate the individual and more accentuate the collective group so i think that is something i hope comes through in the show um, that aroha love empathy of the group and you know maybe feeds out into the world a little bit like we've got problems in the world we need to solve them together not just as individuals so you know hopefully that's an important element that bleeds out from the show yeah i guess for me i think the first thing is that they had a good time watching the story (laughs) and yeah and that in the watching or the experiencing of the story they learned something about their own humanity through our story of our humanity and that they understand it was the Māori people that helped them to that sense of enjoyment and understanding. That's what I'd like. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Kay. It was great to talk. Yeah, it was really great to talk. And seriously, thank you all for for making this. Like it was, it's an amazing piece of media storytelling mm. fantasy like i i love it mm. thank you Kay. Oh, yeah cool thank you mate hey wonderful really, really, really appreciate that <laughs>